one of the best modern westerns, but what does it have to say? Today I'm talking about the remake of 310 to Yuma. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am kicking off a series which is all about modern westerns. In particular, what are modern westerns about? And this was kicked off when I rewatched uh, a movie I really like, which is 310 to Yuma, which is what today's episode's about. But it also got me thinking just about the western genre in general and how it's evolved and changed or stayed the same in many ways over time. So without further ado, let's get started. The western is often described as the American movie genre. Plenty of other countries have dabbled in the tropes and style of the the genre, most famously the spaghetti westerns of Sergio Leone with Clint Eastwood, but almost all of them take place in the American West. What's fascinating to me is seeing how the genre has evolved over time. Initially, westerns were simply morality tales, with good guys facing off against bad guys and unfortunately negative stereotypes of indigenous peoples. But over time, as the genre grew beyond straightforward action pictures, they also addressed morality in more metaphorical ways in the 50s with films like High Noon and dealt with darker themes like legends, legacy, and the end of eras in the 60s and 70s, before drifting back towards simple morality in the 80s and then into deconstruction, most famously in in 1992's Unforgiven. So what are Westerns about now? It's that very question that has inspired the next five pieces and episodes as I dive into a number of the best modern westerns, taking place in both the modern era and in the past, and try to pick apart why they work and the ideas they're attempting to convey. Starting with the man who loves himself a western, Logan director James Mangold, in his 2007 remake of 310 to Yuma. In 1884 Arizona, Dan Evans, Christian Bale, and his family are in a world of hurt. He's behind on his rent to a wealthy landowner who just sent his goons to burn down his barn, and he needs a lot of money in a short period of time to keep his family afloat. By happenstance, Evan gets his chance when an infamous outlaw, Russell Crowe's Ben Wade, comes into nearby Bisbee and gets captured. Eager to get Wade on a train to prison before the outlaw's gang comes calling, the local railroad executive offers up a hefty sum to anyone who will transport Wade to his meeting with the gallows. But while Evans readily accepts, will he live long enough to make his family the money they need to survive? 310 to Yuma is one of the best modern westerns I've seen. And to clarify, I mean anything that was released after 2000. Because frankly, 9-11 did a hell of a job on what movies were and are about and still are. <laughs> and st- we're still feeling the impact of this day and it shifted everything from upbeat or lighter fare into a lot of darker places that most movies and shows have felt comfortable engaging with ever since. Not a judgment either way. I like silly and serious in equal measure. It's just kind of what happened. So why is this one so good? Let's get to the high highlights. First, we have an update to Western action. A lot of traditional Western action can fall flat because it feels simple and predictable. Everyone clears out of town, and now we've got a shootout in what looks and feels like a Western attraction built in the middle of nowhere. So if you're going to update the approach to the action, you can go in one of three ways. First is you stylize or amplify the shit out of it, see Django Unchained. Provide so much of it that it goes beyond simple one-on-one bouts, see the Magnificent Seven remake, which I will address later, or change up the locations and scenarios. 310 to Yuma opts for number three. 
For instance, the film's first action scene features Wade's gang as they attempt to take over an armored stagecoach. Seems simple enough. But there's a lot of added features that make this particular scene stand out, like our Pinkertons being armed with shotguns and a Gatling gun, one of Wade's men being blown up with his own dynamite, and Wade forcing the wagon into a crash to take it out, versus taking it over via sheer force or having it dive off a cliff or something. And we still add in some quick-draw action for good measure. Almost all of the movie's action scenes are like this, and either feature blink-and-you'll-miss-it attacks from Wade, or a creative blend of gunfighting, brawling, and explosions, a la the escape in the mine, to keep things interesting. The weapons, threats, and locations are constantly changing, and that keeps an even familiar setup feel fresh. We also have subtle and effective world-building. A lot of westerns, even the ones I like, have what I'll dub the exposition dump problem. Once you get into them, they're a lot of fun, but the first 15 or 20 minutes feel like you're being introduced to a cast of characters who all explain what they are, what they do, and what their relationships are to one another. I don't always mind, because if said exposition is delivered by a charming newcomer, a la Haley Steinfeld in To Regret, that's just fine. But it does feel unnatural. 310 to Yuma doesn't have that problem. Via action and mentions within dialogue, we start to put pieces together about who all of these people are, what motivates them, and their relationships to one another. For instance, any time anyone sees or hears the name Ben Wade, their ears perk up. Or how we establish that Dan was a soldier because he shares that info to improve his chances of being selected for the transport mission. Which in turn opens the door for Wade to probe about it later, especially since Dan has a disability. It means everything that we learn or comes up feels less random. Even an attack from Apache is primed by Wade saying they shouldn't go that route because that's where they live and these are the ones that stayed to fight. The west of 310 to Yuma feels like a real place and these details are a big part of why. So what is this movie about? Taking after the Elmore Leonard story of the same name and the 1957 film, 310 to Yuma is a movie about morality. But unlike the traditional westerns that have very clear answers about who is right and wrong, James Mangold's take intentionally obscures the lines between good and evil and moral and immoral. This is conveyed through our two leads and our two main characters, Dan Evans played by Christian Bale and Ben Wade played by Russell Crowe. So Dan Evans is a good man, full stop. He loves his wife and children and desperately wants to provide for them and live a long and happy life with them. But circumstances beyond his control are making that almost impossible. He moved out to Arizona to help his son's medical condition and is behind on his rent because his landlord diverted all the water away from his farmland. And said landlord is very aware of this and has no compassion for Dan's predicament. He even refers to it like it's fate versus a concentrated effort on his part to get what he wants, which is a path for the new rail line that he will be heftily compensated for. The promise of the money seems to be the only reason that Dan takes the job of transporting Wade, but more on that later. Then there's Ben Wade, a notorious outlaw who kills his own men for endangering his jobs while preaching about strength over weakness. He's basically the landlord. But we also get hints that Wade isn't as heartless as he portrays himself. He makes good on his word not to hurt Dan, his sons, or his cattle, and his night with a female bartender is surprisingly tender and even suggests running away to Mexico with her to leave his life behind. The second act of this movie, where Wade is being transported by Dan and the men he's working with, operates as an assault on Dan's morality from Wade, as Wade begins picking off members of the party seemingly with good reasons every time. There's no big reason for Wade to stab a man to death with a dinner fork, but the man he kills is also the same man who set fire to Dan's barn and was taunting Wade with being hung like a sadist. Likewise, Wade reveals that Henry Fonda's Pinkerton, which, by the way, casting Henry Fonda <laughs> in a western choice. 
So when he reveals that Henry Fonda, Fonda's Pinkerton had a hand in a number of massacres of indigenous populations, including women and children, and Fonda defends himself by claiming self-defense and insulting Wade's mother, mother, even if you're not a fan of Wade, Wade reacting violently and throwing another violent man off a cliff doesn't feel 100% wrong. If anything, Wade seems to respect Dan and talks to him like someone who doesn't see the big picture. How in this Wild West, the powerful take what they want, and the only way to fight back is to do the same. This finally leads to an open debate in a hotel, as Dan, Wade, and their company wait for the titular train and debate morality. A conversation that no one wins, because Wade's main henchman, an incredibly intimidating Ben Foster, arrives and promises a bigger reward than the railroad man can muster to get Wade free. Just when Wade seems to have all of the advantages and has Dan in a literal chokehold, Dan finally admits the real reason he agreed to bring Wade to prison. He wants to reclaim his honor and earn his son's respect. And that, of all things, cuts through. Wade understands this, versus the suicide mission Wade insisted on joining and continuing. He gets honor, and agrees to help Dan get him to the train and to get the money and respect he wants, because he's already broken out of that prison twice anyways. After a violent journey together, the two men have finally bonded over a shared value, which means when Wade's man Charlie violates that bond and fatally shoots Dan just before Wade boards the train, Wade's entire gang pays the price. The world of 310 to Yuma is brutal, power-driven, and doesn't subscribe to a singular sense of morality. But it does argue that no one, be it an old archetype like the one moral man in an immoral world, or the terrifying outlaw, are more complex and capable of understanding than we might think. There's always something more. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.